You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Pension planning is one of those subjects many of us would rather not think about. We know we should, but somehow we just never seem to get round to it. Well, next year we're going to have to because the government has decided to bite the bullet and bring in auto-enrolment. Starting in October, a rolling programme will begin and employers will have a new statutory duty to enrol all employees earning above a certain threshold into a pension scheme. All this, along with the abolition of the default retirement age, an ageing population and the possibility of a flat-rate state pension in the future, and suddenly everyone's talking about pensions. Here's what Steve Webb, the pensions minister, has to say about it. The challenge is that we have millions of people of working age today who are heading for a low standard of living in retirement unless we take action. The state will provide a basic minimum, but for most people the basic state pension, even at a higher level, is just for the basics. And most people want more than that in retirement, but they're not heading for that unless we can get far more of them into pension saving and saving more. I think if we didn't take some action, then we would be in serious trouble. Steve Rumbles is a pensions expert. He's managing director and head of BlackRock's UK Defined Contributions pension team. He's also worked at Merrill Lynch Investment Managers and Lloyds Bank. And according to him, the government has a huge challenge on its hands. People don't even understand how the current state pension system works. The basic principle, I think, was that a lot of people actually, they think they are putting money away and the government very kindly is hiding it away in some chest somewhere and in 30 years' time they're going to dust it off and they're going to pay it to the member and that's what's used. And the reality is that isn't how it works. We're paying, you know, we're effectively paying the retirees now. And we all know, certainly in the industry, what the problem is. But I don't think the basic member even understands that. Anything that makes it clearer and easier to understand has got to be a positive thing. Out on the streets in London's Victoria, a quick straw poll told us what we already suspected. Many workers are still in deep denial about their retirement finances. Do you have a pension? No, I don't. Why not? Because I don't have enough money to start one up, and I'm too old now probably to start one up and get anything from it, so I'm just hoping I inherit. (laughs) We get a pension statement every year, but I'll be honest, I don't really take much notice in so much as they take what they take, and that's as much as it is to contribute to a pension to give me some sort of income when I'm older. Do you know how much that will be? Um, Do you have a pension? No, I don't. Why not? I just haven't even thought about it, really. Oh, I took my pension at work, but I haven't got my own private pension, no. And do you think, will it be enough for you to live on? No. Can you see yourself ever getting a personal pension? To be honest, it's just not on my agenda at all. I never really think about it. Do you know how much you pay into it each month? It's non-contributory. Do you know how much your employer pays into it each month? No. (laughs) Do you think you should know? I get statements sent me to me each year, but I don't read them. Yes. Is it a workplace scheme? Yes. Um, I'm not sure what that percentage is. So do you have any idea how much it will give you when you stop working? No. <laughs> Auto-enrolment will mean that every organisation, from the biggest corporations down to the smallest of SMEs, will have to enrol all eligible employees. So unless the employee actively opts out, they will, from that moment onwards, be saving for a pension. Pensions Minister Steve Webb told me what he's hoping to achieve. The idea is to build on the lessons from America and elsewhere, which show us that when people are put into a pension that they opt out from, 
rather than having to actively choose and opt into one, coverage rates tend to be much, much higher. And we can look at American workplace schemes which run on one basis or on another basis. And often the staying in rate can be 80 or 90% on an opt-out scheme and as low as 20 to 30% on an opt-in scheme. So we know pensions are difficult for people, they're off-putting, they don't know what to choose. So we're taking all of that away from the individual it will be a new duty on employers starting next summer to enrol their workers and starting with the biggest firms. Now, I see you're hoping to add, I think it's as many as 7 million new savers. Obviously, lethargy will mean that some people will just stay enrolled because they won't think about it, they won't opt out. But I have seen estimates of as many as 40% of people expected to opt out. How are you going to combat that? There's a lot we can do to make sure that people stay in once they've been enrolled. One of the important things is that we need to communicate with employers because, you know, some people say they don't trust politicians and they don't trust financial advisors, but they may trust their employer rather more on this sort of issue. So when the pensions regulator tells employers about their duties, we'll make sure that they are comfortable in communicating with their workers they know what they can say they've got standard literature that they can issue so we don't want to put a we don't expect employers to be pensions experts but we do want to give them the tools so that when people come back to them and they want basic information they know where they can find it and we want to stress the value of the employer contribution if you put money in an ISA or indeed under the mattress you don't get an employer contribution. And it's like a pay rise. If you don't want that pay rise, fine, opt out. But it's a valuable additional benefit for people, which we hope they'll take up. Do you think you've got that message across then? Because I think, you know, this is 55% of SMEs saying their schemes will not comply. Can that be right? Or are they just misunderstanding your regulations? One of the things about auto-enrolment is it is a staged process. So next year, 2012, it'll be the huge employers, Britain's you know, high street names and so on. Many small and medium-sized firms won't even come in till 2014 or even 2015. So there's several years to get this thing going, to get the information out. Obviously, with legislation still not even through Parliament yet, we can't start writing letters to people telling them because Parliament might change it. So we need to finalise it. But then we have a major communication strategy as a department. The pensions regulator will be communicating with employers directly, Nest will be communicating with people and other providers as well. So there will be, this will gather momentum very significantly in the coming months. If significant numbers do opt out, it will be problematic for the government. The CIPD's reward advisor, Charles Cotton, thinks it's very hard to predict opt-out numbers, but that the best way to get people to stay in a scheme is to make it more affordable. And the surest way to do that? Boost the economy at large. We've got to see, you know, economic growth a, a priority from the government to try and boost the, uh, the the economy. Obviously, it's very difficult, but if we can get the economy to start to grow, we can start seeing people getting pay rises. We start to see consumer inflation falling. Then people feel more um, confident about the future and will start, you know, more likely to not opt out of a pension scheme and, you know, possibly pay even more money into a pension scheme. In a bid to create a genuinely low-cost, flexible and easy-to-understand pension scheme for lower earners, the government has set up the National Employment Savings Trust, or NEST. By 2017, the total contribution level will be a minimum of 8%. That's 3% from the employer, 4% from the employee and 1% tax relief. Tim Taylor is Head of Reward and Recognition at TUI Travel UK and Ireland. It's the largest sector in TUI Travel PLC, one of Europe's leading leisure travel companies. They do offer defined benefit schemes, but their main vehicle is a defined contribution scheme, which is open to all UK employees to come in on various levels. About a quarter of their employees are currently in a scheme. 
For about 5,000 across the UK in total in a scheme. So, you know, if you're looking at auto enrolment, we're thinking, well, you're probably looking in the region of around uh, 13, 14,000, um, you know, potentially will um, need to come in. So some quite sizable numbers. On top of that? Yes. But of course, they can only guess at how many will opt out. We're working on the assumption that um, probably around 80% um, will will come in. I think we're and stay in. You think so? Yes, I think so. I think uh, you know pensions is complicated, and I, and I think you know people don't go in because they don't really understand it. But I think the reality is there's also a bit of inertia. So once people are in, they'll probably stay in. Um, so you know I, I think our feeling is that actually you know the the numbers will be quite significant that will will come through. You know once we've auto enrolled men in, they will probably stay in the scheme because they'll know it's it's a good thing to be in a pension scheme. There may be some affordability issues on an individual basis, but I think most people will will recognise once they are in, they'll probably stay in. The success of the reforms really balances on the issue of employee opt out, and that may vary widely across different sectors. Here's Steve Rumbles again. Different industries will uh, approach this in different ways and I think you know the government has this view Nest have this view of a 20 to 25 percent opt-out rate I think that at the smaller end of the corporate scale I think that's probably right I think for larger companies apathy will prevail and therefore not as many people will opt out as 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 predicted would be my view For smaller firms without schemes or whose existing schemes will not be acceptable under the new regime, it will take significant amounts of time and money to organise alternatives. Steve Webb. For smaller firms who don't have any pension provision at all, clearly Nest will play a crucial role. And one of the good things that Nest has been designed to fill a gap in the market, so they've had to think about firms who aren't very interested in pensions, people who don't understand the jargon of pensions, we've made sure that Nest is a low-cost provider. So we've made sure that there is someone out there who's available, fulfills your statutory duties in a relatively painless way, and that's crucial. In terms of firms who already have schemes, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for them to, to tick the box in terms of adequacy. So rather than say your scheme has got to look exactly to every dot and comma like we say, we've got a pensions bill going through at the moment that relaxes some of those rules that says basically if it is a decent scheme and we we set out various ways it can satisfy those rules then you don't have to change it just carry on now you know if you're only putting a few percent in it's not going to pass the test you know we do need to make sure a decent amount is going in but we've tried to be as flexible as we can as steve webb says nest is designed to make things cheaper and easier and perhaps it will be smes who opt for nest as a pension provider but what else ought the government to do to support employers in getting the message across No one's under any illusions that explaining pension reform to people is anything other than an uphill battle. Okay, did you know that next year everyone's going to be automatically enrolled into a pension scheme at work? No, I didn't know. Yeah, it's called auto-enrolment. You can opt out, but you'll be automatically signed up for it. I would probably opt out. Do you have a pension? I have a pension. I'm a civil servant. Although there's all the action that's being taken because they want to change all the... Uh, criteria of it so again I'm not quite sure how much when and so on and so forth. I think if this had happened years ago I probably wouldn't do but now I think it's probably too little too late. Obviously the communication strategy is crucial. Here's Steve Webb. Because we're talking about 10 or 11 million people being auto-enrolled this will be massive. This will be 
you know, if they're not talking about it on EastEnders, I'll be surprised. You know, because one in four of the adult population is going to be auto-enrolled. You know, this isn't going to be a niche techie pensions thing. This is going to affect, you know, somebody in your household, somebody who lives next door. So, so will we see big TV campaigns as there's all the drink driving and anti There will be all, all, a whole raft of campaigns. I mean, we're working out the exact strategy, but there'll be national campaigns. As I say, employers will be contacted directly, specifically, provided template literature and all of that. We want, you know, although there is a duty on firms to comply we want to help them we want to enable them to you know there is a stick in the system there is a penalty for not complying but we don't have to use it we want to enable firms to to comply and i think you know people will be talking about this thing we're starting with the biggest firms who are the best able to communicate and we will learn lessons as we go when we get to the smaller firms so the government's aim clearly is to create a communication campaign big enough to really get people talking about this But Tim Taylor is in no doubt that the nuts and bolts of the communications responsibility will still lie with the organisation. I'm working under the assumption that um, although obviously we're expecting some communications to come out centrally from from the government, um, I would imagine that that, um, the way these things go is that we will probably pick up quite a lot within the company. Um, and well, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, is that irritating? It's not really your job, is it, it to it, educate your staff about pensions? It, it is a little bit frustrating, uh, but um, uh, you know, it is it is uh, it is the way that um, you know HR legislation um, and uh, practice really goes. So you know, it more and more comes back to the employer. Um, ultimately, they do work for us. Um, it is a key, you know, opportunity for us to show um, how we, you know, differentiate that we actually take take this issue seriously um, and can retain and attract people. So, you know, it is something that we need to take on board. But yes, it is a bit frustrating. What I'd like to see is a, a comprehensive awareness program that actually says, you know, you need to be aware of this, you need to be aware of your financial uh, future, it is important for you as an individual, and this is, you know, considering uh, uh, across the UK, but actually, as, as, as a business, we can then tag onto the back of that and say, and yes, this is what we're doing. But, but I suspect we'll probably be doing a lot of the leg work as well. We can all see there's a clear necessity for the government to simplify and encourage pension saving. But is it fair to put the onus so heavily on the employer? I put that to Steve Rumbles. It is an expensive job. But it's one that the you know they recognise it exists. It's, it, you know, it's not a UK phenomenon. It's, it's a global phenomenon. Okay, so they've got to deal with it. Um, my sense is that you know you can approach this in one of two ways. You can either say, "Oh, we've got to put our hands in a pocket and come up with a load of load of money. <laughs> this is all terrible," blah, blah, blah. or you can embrace it, and you can say, "You know what? We've got to do this. They're probably going to fund it from salaries in some way, shape, or form anyway, logically." Um, so you might as well make the most of it and, and promote it as a positive thing to do for your employees. So the real challenge for businesses is to turn this into a quantifiable benefit, not well, just an expense. Why, why not? It's an expense you've got anyway. Why not promote it? That's exactly the approach that TY is taking. Tim Taylor. I think the way we are looking at it is we know that we're going to have increased cost um, as a result of autumn enrolment. Now, you know, there's two approaches to that. We can just comply with the legislation um, and you know take take the cost from there, or we can look at it and say, okay, well for that spend, what what can we do that will actually um, give us a better result for our employees and a better benefit um, offering and provision um, that that will you know retain and attract individuals coming through. So you've got to do the work. Actually, you know, why don't you widen that and see you know what the opportunities are um, whilst you're doing that work to to improve what you already have. This is where the role of HR really comes into play. Charles Cotton. I think it 
depends on you know HR making business case for the organisation. Now, in some instances, employees are you know you you need them to get the job done, but they don't necessarily add value or create value for the organisation. So, in those instances, employers will probably just say, "Well, we'll do what the legal minimum require you know the legal minimum what the law requires." For other organisations, especially those in the service-based sector or knowledge-intensive firms or innovation and creative industries, then employees are the people who create the wealth. They are a source of you know, competitive advantage for the organisation, so therefore they do want to um, attract the best, retain the best, and to um, develop them and in those instances pensions will be an important part of the overall package. The proposal for a new flat rate state pension is getting a broadly positive reaction. Steve Webb explained the benefits to me. What we're doing is trying to simplify a very complicated system. We're not spending more money, so we're taking what's currently a wide range of pension outcomes. You know, somebody retiring in a few years' time, the typical man actually gets about £160 from the state, typical woman about £130. We're replacing that kind of system related to earnings and all sorts of other things with a simple system. So if, if we go ahead, the idea would be over time people would get a flat rate pension. Broadly, the sort of figures we talked about are around 7000 a year compared with a basic of about 5000 but people are getting other money on top. So it's not about throwing money at the state pension, it's about simplifying it precisely to support auto-enrolment so that when somebody thinks, well, shall I bother saving, they don't open their national newspaper and see a story that says, don't bother saving because the government will just means test it away from you. They know that what they save is theirs to keep. Current plans to raise the state pension age to 66 by 2020 are going through Parliament now, and the age could shift to 67 as soon as 2026. Now, that would mean there are 8 million people in their 40s now who are going to retire a year later than they'd planned. So why does the government keep moving the goalposts? Pensions Minister Steve Webb. The current plan to go to 67 by 2036 is just too slow. you know. But I think it's possible to exaggerate this. People will typically, even at a pension age of 67 when we get there, have over two decades in retirement. So it's, this isn't work till you drop. The people we're talking about, say we move forward, as you suggest, in the mid-20s, these people already have a pension age of 66. So it's a one-year change. If we announced it soon, that would be at 15 years' notice from, from today. Now, you know, I'm 46, so I'd be covered by this. Frankly, another year... It doesn't seem unreasonable, given everything that's going on, to adjust my pension age by a year with that sort of length of notice. Now, we all know we're living longer, but we're living longer like an express train. And therefore, we can't say 40 years out, 30 years out, 20 years out, this is definitely your pension age, because things are just changing so dramatically. So you need to reserve that right to, to change the age again? Up to a reasonable point, but we do accept the need for a, for a minimum notice period. There's a fear that employers with schemes where the employer currently contributes more than 8% will take the opportunity to save money and level down when the reforms come in, leaving employees out of pocket. I put that to Steve Webb. There are employers who have existing employees in existing schemes. People say, oh, they'll level down. But what does that mean? That means they say to somebody who they've employed, maybe for years, who they're putting, I don't know, 8% into their pension, guess what, we're going to slash your pension contribution. 
That's not an easy conversation to have. It may well be for new employees or employees who aren't in the scheme, they'll enrol at the minimum level. I can see a sort of two-tier approach may happen. I think that's clear that will happen in some cases. But there's not much evidence that existing provision for existing workers will be reduced. There was one survey recently, the Association of Consulting Actuaries, they emailed 50,000 firms and 49,500 didn't reply. And on the strength of the 400-odd who did, they came up with a sort of headline that scared people. We have to be very careful about this. The department's done rigorous work on this, surveyed employers, talked to all sizes and shapes, and we think that what's called levelling down will be quite limited. Some firms will, but the majority will add to provision. And then, of course, that will be reflected in pay negotiations and, and other... You know, it's, it, it is a cost and it will have to be borne. So, will these reforms put Britain in a better place 30 years down the line? Steve Rumbles. Well, obviously, I hope it does, um, not least because if I do the sums, I'm not far off that myself, so <laughs> sort of needs to. Um, I think we'll be in a better place than we are now, I don't doubt that. My challenge, I guess, is that um, you know, a typical contribution into a final salary scheme at the moment is 23%. A typical contribution into a DC scheme at the moment is around about 11 or 12 and general thinking from certainly the modelling tools we've got, it, near, it needs to be nearer 15. So <laughs> isn't hard to work out that eight is not enough. Which is the next contribution. Mm -hmm. And so my problem, I guess, is that, that employees, because the, because the government has mandated eight, well, it's not the nest contribution, it's the reg contribution. Indeed. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is that people will assume, again, apathy, they will just assume that if the government said it was eight, it is eight, and that's what they need. And therefore, the pensions that they get when they start to retire, or 20 years' time when someone, they sit down with an IFA who says, well, you're way off track where you want for your standard of living, that's going to be a challenge. So, you know, the bit I don't agree with is that eight is sufficient, but you've got to start somewhere, and I think it's right to build up over time because that helps employers and employees in, as you say, a, a bit of a strapped time. But it's interesting, in Australia, the rates have continually risen such that I think they're around about 12 now. I'm presuming we'll see that here, won't we? I would have thought so. I would have thought so. HR has many challenges here. There's an opportunity to pitch these reforms as a tool for recruitment and retention, but there's also a big logistical challenge. Each and every organisation needs a strategy for implementing the reforms, and this is where HR really comes into play. You know, I, I, I think that the, the bigger problem for firms actually is not Clearly, finding the money to pay for it, sure. But you know, this legislation didn't just happen last week. It's been building up. Okay, and you're right, companies are strapped. But nevertheless, it's not a new. It's not new news, so to speak. The bigger challenge appears to be around payroll systems and personnel systems, and their capability to to create these files, and to identify whether you're earning enough to be auto enrolled, whether you're the right age to be auto enrolled, picking up the fact that you opted out and then three years later you need to be opted back in again on the staging date. I'm, I'm not aware of any payroll or personnel system that does that and the general feeling in the market at the moment is that they're not planning on doing it either. So but that, that's basic a big logistics choice. of making this Absolutely. Work. Absolutely. That to me is going to be a real challenge. Because we haven't heard much about that. No we haven't and I think that's probably because again Larger companies, particularly the biggest ones for October next year, have got you know big pensions departments and big 
HR departments. So or for SMEs. Pro- correct. When you get down into the SME level, who might just buy a version of Sage, for instance, if that's not in there, how are they going to identify all these people? I think that's almost going to be the bigger challenge. You know, oh, you need to find 20 million. Well, okay, I need to find 20 million. How do I solve the systems problem? Oh, I've left it too late. Uh, what do I do now? That's going to be a big challenge. More than ever, it's a successful communication strategy that will differentiate those organisations who manage to implement and make the best of these reforms. Charles Cotton. You are going to need more emphasis around employee education to say, well, this is what the offering is, these are the choices, these are the consequences of the choices, and then being able to communicate that um, effectively and we moved away from the days of you know, paper communication and now organisations are looking at the internet and increasingly social media, everything from um, Facebook to Twitter, to communicate the value of the employer offering. So a big challenge all around for employers? A big challenge, but hopefully the CIPD is there to help our members meet this challenge and raise, rise to this challenge. For more information on how to make the pensions reforms work for you, including the CIPD's research Business Case for Pensions and the Employee Outlook Focus on Pensions, check out our show notes at cipd.co.uk slash podcasts. Remember, we're always keen to hear your feedback, so please do fill in the feedback forms on the podcast page. As we just heard from Charles, social media is a vital part of communication nowadays and next month I'll be exploring the many imaginative and unusual ways in which smart organisations are using social media. 